have been studying through the book of Acts because as a church we are concerned to be like the first century churches. That's what our desire is. We don't want a 21st century Christianity. We want a first century Christianity. I think we would all agree as we've seen the centuries go by uh, things that you find to be true in the first century churches seem to have disappeared today in the 21st century. And so we want to consider what the Bible teaches, what the Bible records here in the book of Acts, and ask ourselves these important questions and see if these things are true in our church today. Now in Acts chapter 14, we're going to begin reading here in verse 24. If we go back, if we would go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 13, we would find the launching of the first missionaries. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were members of the church in Antioch in Syria. And the Holy Ghost said, I've called you to a work, and that work was going to leave Antioch and Syria, sail over to the island of Cyprus and preach the gospel there, and then they would leave the island of Cyprus and sail northward to Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And then there they would go to Perga and then Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra. Remember Lystra? He would be dragged out of the city, stoned and left for dead. And then he would get up and go to the city of Derby, and then go back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch and Perga and then basically head back to Antioch where they had been sent out of. And we come and we looked at a summary of the work of God that took place there in Acts chapter 14. We come to the end of the chapter and I think there are some important truths that we can learn as we close Acts chapter 14. Notice with me as we begin reading in verse 24 of Acts chapter 14. The Bible says, And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Ataliah. And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. I want to bring your attention to verse 26. At the end of verse 26, we know that they go back to Antioch. That's what the beginning of the verse tells us. That that's where they had left. Remember, originally that's where they had launched out to go and to preach the gospel to all those cities. They had made their way back to Antioch. And this is not what they say. This is what God says they did. The Bible says, for the work, the last few words of verse 26, for the work which they fulfilled. I'm interested in those words because as we think about the existence of the church, the existence of this church, the existence of churches in general, I think we would all agree that there is a work that the church is involved in. And certainly the church is not to be viewed as just another social organization. It is to be viewed as the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth and that church has an explicit work that that church is to do. If you remember, if you turn back with me to Acts chapter 13 just early on, if you remember the scene in 
verse 2, you read of Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13, verse 2 says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, notice, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so we read early on that there was a specific work that they were supposed to do. Now we read through Acts 13 and Acts chapter 14, and we've, we've read about that work. Now it's important for us, if we're going to be like the first century church, that we examine what the work was, and then that we do the same work. But then God says at the end of this, He says, the work which they fulfilled. Now, my prayer as a church and as the pastor of this church is that we get to the place where God looks down on First Day Baptist Church and says, they fulfilled my work. They did it. They completed it. They did exactly what I wanted them to do. Now, that's the testimony of the church of Antioch. If you notice the work which they fulfilled, I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled, The Work of God Fulfilled. As we examine the work of God, I would like to declare a few truths that we come and we examine here in our text. The first thing that we note here as we ask ourselves the important questions of what are we supposed to do today in the 21st century? What is a church? What is the church to be, uh, what is the church to be involved in? What is the message of the church? And as you perhaps look around and ask yourselves, what is, uh, what is uh, uh, the, the standard of what should a church be like? And you find that in the book of Acts. It's important for us as we think about the life of the church that we not look around us in the world and say, well, I, I wonder what is it that we can do to attract the world? We have to ask ourselves, how can we be obedient to God? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Now as we examine here this work that is fulfilled, I want us to know three things about this work. We first of all note that of this work we find a description. Now, when we look at these simple verses, no doubt we have in mind the last two chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 14. But notice verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, after they passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, Pisidia and Pamphylia are regions. So they're not cities, but they're regions. And so we uh, think about we think of today about Wilmington, for example, and there is the city, but there is also the Wilmington area. So it may be considered Wilmington, but you may not necessarily live within the city limits. And so sometimes we describe areas, and there's a name describing that area. And so Pisidia and Pamphylia were areas there in Asia Minor, and within those areas were different towns and different cities. The Bible says here that they passed through... They came to Pamphylia, and when notice they had preached the word in Perga. Now, uh, Perga is a coastal city south of Asia Minor. Uh, they would sail from Perga and uh, Adalia. They Remember when they sailed from Cyprus and came to Asia Minor, they arrived in Perga. When they sail back to the island of Cyprus, they're going to sail from Adalia. But this is a coastal city. And then the Bible says, and they went down to Adaliah. And so we see here that those regions and those cities, and so what we notice about the work, when we think about the description of that work, we think about the places were many. Now when we think about the work of God, we ask ourselves, all right, as a church, when we think about the work of God, how do we describe the work of God? Well, the, the work of God can be described as the work of God being carried to many places. 
Now, now the reason why I say that is because the work of the church is not a work where the church looks necessarily for, uh, inward, but it's where the church looks outward and says, where is it in our area, where is it in our nation, where is it in the world where the gospel needs to be preached? Where the work of God needs to be carried out. In other words, in the life of the church, there is a pioneering spirit. Where the church is launching out beyond its borders, in a sense, not trying to build its own kingdom, but trying to build the kingdom of God. We see the places where many, we also see that the people were diverse. If you read throughout Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14, you find different groups of people. If you remember, the first two cities they went to, Antioch and Iconium, you remember Paul and Barnabas, they first went and preached in the synagogue. Now, a synagogue is simply a place where the Jews assembled themselves. It was um, uh, the typical practice of both Paul and Barnabas, even Peter early on, to first go to the synagogues on the Sabbath where their Jews typically met and to preach the gospel to them to preach Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, we read even later they went to Lystra and Derby. Now when we come to Lystra and Derby, Paul is preaching to not Jews, but he's preaching to pagan people, to people who worship false gods. And if, if you were that believed in Greek mythology, they had a, a temple that was erected. Remember when Paul and Barnabas were there in Lystra, the people saw them as gods. They uh, said, this is Mercurius and Jupiter. These were Greek gods. And so wherever Paul and Barnabas went, you find that the people were diverse. And this is the wonderful thing about the work of the church. It is for, every, it is for everyone. No matter what background, no matter what religion, no matter what... Well, I know people say today, they say race. There is only one race of people. That is the human race. We are not divided by color or culture. There is one blood... And we are made of that same blood. And so no matter what the different cultures is, it's interesting as you read Acts 13 and 14, you find that the message is one. They don't change the message as they go from one place, as they preach in the synagogue, and then they go and preach to a pagan people who worship those false Greek gods. They preach the same message, the message of the gospel. So we see the places where many of the people were diverse, but we also see that the preaching was unchanged. Notice with me in verse 25, the Bible says, And when they had, what's the next three words? Preached the word. Throughout the book of Acts, as we've been studying throughout the last uh, uh, several months, well actually I think it's through the last year or so, We've come to find that this is repeated, that wherever they went, they preached the Word. Preached the Word. Now, I'd like to bring your attention back to chapter 13, because I want us to get some insight into what that Word was. They were faithful to preach the Word. If you go back with me in Acts chapter 13, notice in verse 26, the Bible says here, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and Whosoever among you feareth God to you is the word of this salvation sent. Now here, the preaching in the synagogue where Jews had assembled themselves and they say, we're giving you the word of salvation. We've been sent to carry out this word. And by the way, that's the work of God. The work of God is in a sense where God's people take the word of God and carry it to other people 
who do not know the Word of God. We read by verse 38, he preaches, and by the way, as he's preaching to Jews who would be familiar with the Old Testament record, he preaches to them throughout the Old Testament record, and he arrives at Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 13. He says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, now he's been talking about Jesus Christ, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. We ask ourselves as we read about Paul and Barnabas, we read about all the cities that they went to, we read about all the different diverse people that they, that, that they spoke to, and then the Bible says wherever they went, they preached the word, and we ask ourselves, what is that word? And here we read that he says, I preach unto you, notice here, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Now we come to a place here in the 21st century where we no doubt see a society that has uh, really uh, have, have, has a different view of what sin is and of what sin means, but sin is anything that we do in violation of the law of God. The Bible is clearer to express that in Romans chapter 2 that the law of God is written in our hearts and the heart of man. You can go to the deepest jungles in Papua New Guinea where our missionaries served there in Papua New Guinea, the artisans, and, and go there and you can uh, tell them about God's laws and God's morality and they seem to ha all have an intuitive knowledge of the law of God and of morality wherever you go. And so when he preaches about sin and the forgiveness of sins, people know intuitively what sin is. They know that it is a sin against God. It is a violation of the law of God, whether it be lying or hatred or adultery, all of those things are listed in the Word of God as being sin and a transgression of the law and a violation of the holiness of God. And the truth that we find in the Scripture is that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But notice he preaches to them, notice the forgiveness of sins. You see, there is no doubt that if you're going to preach about the forgiveness of sin, that you have to preach about sin. Because if you don't preach about sin, then you don't know what you need to be forgiven from. And so here he preaches the forgiveness of sin. He has told them that, again, these were they who had rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They had rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. They had thought that uh, worthiness in the sight of God came by being good, by keeping the standards of God, and they found themselves to be utterly, sin, utterly sinful in the sight of God. And so he says, you can have the forgiveness of sins. He preached unto them the forgiveness of sins, and notice here he goes on to explain further what that means. How do we get the forgiveness of sins? He says, verse 39 of Acts 13, and by Him, that's by Jesus Christ, all that believe in who? In Jesus Christ. What happens to all that believe? Are justified from all things. Amen. From which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Right. Now here to this particular crowd of people, you can see Paul and Barnabas, they're standing in the synagogue and they're preaching to a very religious group of people. These people that are gathered on that day in the synagogue thought themselves that they could be justified in the sight of God uh, by keeping the law of Moses. They thought that they could be justified by being good people. 
And what they emphasized to them is that Jesus Christ came because they could not keep the law of Moses. Because there was, uh, there was uh, uh, in other words, he says, the, the, the goodness in you, you may do a good deed, but the good deed does not negate your sinfulness. It, it cannot wash away your sinfulness. You may try to weigh it out. You may try to, in your life, cause the good to outweigh the bad. But the truth is, the good does not erase the sin. And so he says you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. But what can you be justified by? By Jesus Christ. Now, the word justified is an interesting word. It's a judicial term with regards to the law. Now, we think about today, if you stand in a courtroom, they may not use that word, but let's say somebody is on trial for maybe a crime and they find that that person is not guilty of the crime. Indeed, they found that the proof is that that person did absolutely nothing wrong. That person was falsely accused. And so they might write on the paper, they might write justified. And that means they are not guilty. They have been found with no wrong. That's what the word justified means. Now, notice he said early on, I preach unto you the forgiveness of sins. So we have to understand what salvation is. Salvation, yes, is the forgiveness of sins. But judicially, when we stand before God, justification means is all the sin has been erased by Jesus Christ. And now we stand before God as just, just as if we had never been sinners in the first place. You see, that's what Jesus did when He died on the cross. Jesus Christ didn't die as a martyr. Jesus Christ died to take away our sin. The innocent for the guilty. The Bible says that God hath made Him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. You see, righteousness is not attained by good deeds. By the law of Moses, righteousness is attained by justification. Justification is attained by the forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness of sins is attained by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, isn't it interesting that as you read throughout the book of Acts, wherever they are, the message does not change. So that tells us today for the 21st century, the message today in the 21st century is still the same. Here we are 2,000 years later, we must not change that message. Peter, when he was told, uh, you remember by the religious authorities of the day in Acts chapter 4, he was told you cannot preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not allowed to do that. You can do anything else you want, but don't preach in that name. You remember what Peter said? He said, there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Right. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so why would the church forsake that glorious message that through Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sins is, is received and justification from all things? You see, if, we, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been justified because you've received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you are not saved today, you are still abiding in your sin under the wrath of God and if you don't come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will perish in an eternity in hell. And so we see of this work, we find a description. It's pretty clear. The places were many, the people were diverse, but the preaching was unchanged. May we not change the message today.
It is sad to see the churches have, have forsaken the message and have engaged in social causes to the neglect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also find in our text, after this work, we arrive at its completion. Now notice here in verse 26, the Bible says, go back with me to Acts 14, verse 26, and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, and when they were come, they had gathered the church together. I want you to notice here that the Bible mentions that after this work, we arrived at its completion. Now, this is not what they said. They didn't come to Antioch and say, hey, we fulfilled the work. This is what God says by looking down at the church. He says, they fulfilled the work. Now, if, if you remember, if you've been here with us, if you read back through Acts 13 and Acts chapter 14, did everybody become a Christian? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you remember when they went to Antioch? They were expelled from the city. Do you remember when they went to um, Iconium? They were going to stone them, so they had to leave quickly. And they went to Lystra. Remember when they went to Lystra, Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city. Uh, the, the Jews that were from Antioch and Iconium came down to Lystra and they stirred up the people. And so you could see throughout those missionary journeys great oppositions. But yet God says they fulfilled the work. So the question is, what does it mean to fulfill the work of God? It means simply this. Obedience without regard for the result. Obedience without regard for the result. In other words, God says, they obeyed me. They did what I told them to do. And so, some people believed. Some churches we see evidently, actually in every city where they went was formed, but the overwhelming majority of the people in that city were rejectors. They were unbelievers. We learn throughout the book of Acts that the whole idea of unbelief is not true to the 21st century. It's always been true. People may say, well, I have a modern mind, I have a modern idea, and so today with all that we know, uh, we are unbelievers, and I say that that is not anything new. It's as old as the gospel. Unbelief is. It's always been around. But God says they were obedient, and so may we as a church say, may we be found obedient to God and leave the result up to God. We find several things as we think about the church arriving and its completion of its work. And by the way, they're going to rest there in the city for a while, but then they're going to launch out on a second missionary journey and then a third missionary journey. So they're not done. But in this round, they were obedient. You see, there is no permanent obedience where we've obeyed the Lord once and then that means that we're always going to know. We have to keep resubmitting to the Lord. But as we think about the work, we see here that we think about the work the work unified the church around a common cause. This work unified the church around a common cause. As we just pointed out just a moment ago in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Ghost says, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And so God called Barnabas and Saul. But then the entire church of Antioch got behind Paul and Barnabas as we want to be involved in that work. We want to participate in this. 
And so the whole church was involved. When they come back at the end, they come back to that church. And so what we find about the work here is that it unifies the church around a common cause. You know, sometimes we think about unity. People speak, uh, speak a lot about, well, we have to be unified. We have to dwell in unity. And, and certainly there's something uh, that sounds good about that. But what is the grounds of unity? What is the basis of unity? Well, the basis of unity has to be a common cause. We don't just get along because we need to get along. We get along when we all have a common cause. In other words, you want to serve God, I want to serve God, we want to obey the Lord, let's do it together. And that unify, the, the work of God unify the church. You see, often what happens to church, the reason churches die is because they don't unite around a common cause. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Everybody wants to go over there and do their own thing. Well, how about we do this? How about we do this? How about we have a yoga classes? How about we have a, a cafe in the back? How about we do all those things in churches? No, what's the common cause? The gospel. The launching out, the pioneering spirit, the preaching of the gospel, that's the common cause. And the people come underneath that common cause and are united to move forward together. That's how a work is fulfilled. We also see that it provided direction for the emphasis of the church. The Bible says they fulfilled the work. And so it's interesting here that really Acts 13 and 14 is the obedience to the Lord's command in Matthew 28. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples? After his resurrection, before his ascension, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so this work provided direction for the emphasis of the church. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we emphasize here? What is it that we should emphasize? Well, I think it's clear what they emphasized. Notice with me in verse 26, they sailed back to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come together and had gathered the church together. So we see the work unified the church around a common cause. It provided direction for the emphasis of the church, but also it gave purpose for the existence of the church. Purpose. So, in Acts 13, the people in the church say, hey, let's send out Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel. And so they went to Cyprus, and then they went to Asia Minor, and they preached the gospel in all those places, all those places to all those diverse people, the same message. And so now they come back, they trek back, in all those cities, they come back to Antioch. And now when Paul and Barnabas, they arrive back in Antioch in Syria, they, they gather the church together. So they send word. Now, they didn't have uh, texting back then or phones or social media. And so they probably had to send people to go from house to house and say, Hey, Paul and Barnabas are back. Come here. He hear what, 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 what happened on their missionary journey. Uh, they're going to talk about the work of God. Let's hear what they have to say. You see, the work of God gave purpose for the existence of the church. Why does First State Baptist Church exist? For the work. For the work of God. That's why we exist. And if we cease to do the work, we should cease to exist. You know, churches don't close their doors. They die. 
A church is not a business. It's a living organism under the headship of Jesus Christ where people are found to be obedient to Him to do His work. And so the work gives a purpose for the existence of the church. So we see of this work we find a description. After this work we arrive at its completion. But lastly in our notes we see in this work we see God's glorification. So here's the report. You ready? This is what they're going to say. Now we read Acts 13 and 14. Much happened. I mean quite phenomenally. I mean I think that maybe if we were Paul we would say hey I got stoned and left for dead and then I got up and went to got back into the city, then went to Derby, and then came back to Lystra again. And and so we can think about, wow, Paul. Wow, man, Paul needs to be... No, no, no. Do you read the words? Verse 27. And when they were come together and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that... What? What does the Bible say? God. God had done with them. Now, do you see? Not all that they had done with God... All that God had done with them. Uh, and notice, and how He, God, had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So here's the wonderful thing about this work. It's described in the Bible. We know what the church was supposed to do. Many places, many people, an unchanged message. We find that it's completion. It gave the church a, a, a unity. It provided direction. It gave purpose for the existence of the church. But then when, that's work, when that work is accomplished, God is glorified. Isn't that what we are after? The glory of God. The only thing that they can do is give honor to whom honor is due. The only thing they can do is, this is what God has done. And so, you can see Paul and Barnabas. Now, we read Acts 13 and 14. So we can imagine this is what Paul would tell them. We went to Antioch and Pisidia. And this is what happened. We were expelled out of the city. Now, some people believed. It was quite amazing. We went to Iconium and and there we preached. And some people believed. But we were also chased out of the city. When we went to Lystra, Paul was left for dead. and, And God raised him. And then we went to Derby, and it's amazing, as we went back through those cities, we were able to establish local congregation and ordain elders in every church, and we saw God do wonderful things. You see, they don't give credit to themselves, they glorify God. The church exists, First State Baptist Church exists, primarily to bring glory to God. We cannot bring glory to God if we do our own thing have our own agenda and our own program. We, you know, and I think that's what happened in large part to churches here in the 21st century. They said, well, we have a better way. We have a better program. We have better ideas than the message of the gospel. No, there is no better idea than that. We see that they testified to the gather. They rehearsed all that God had done and they gave honor to God. This is what God has done. This is how God has opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Can you imagine these people in church? Now, certainly they weren't there with Paul and Barnabas on those journeys from city to city and talking to all those people. But do you feel, do you, can you put yourself, if, if you've been here for the last several months, as we went through Acts 13 and 14, could you sense the Spirit in that meeting that day? 
Really? Wow. That's what happened in the synagogue? That's what the member of the Gentiles, when they were in Antioch, remember Paul was preaching in the synagogue, remember the Gentiles, they were outside? And when the Jews inside the building left, not listening to the preaching of Paul, the Gentiles who were outside said, hey, can you preach to us? Can you tell us the gospel? And then the whole city came together. You see the, the hearts of God's people getting stirred up for the work of God. Wanting to do more. You see, that's what should happen in our hearts when we think about when God, by the way, is glorified, it does something in us where we want more. More what? More glory for God. We want to go to the next city. We want to take another journey. We want to keep launching out. We want to keep preaching the gospel. We want to keep doing that. And now it's been 2,000 years since the gospel has begun to be preached. And God has changed the lives of countless people. Not only through the forgiveness of sins and justification. But many of you, I'm sure, could testify one after the other today of how God has changed your life. And you're here today as a testimony of what God has done in your life. And He gets the glory. You see, a Christian doesn't walk around and say, well, look at how great I am. We know we're not great. But we know that God is. And we know of the work that He's done in our hearts and in our lives. And He has caused a change that we could not bring about on our own. So praise be His name. So as a church, let's think about these words. The work of God fulfilled. My prayer is that God will look down in First Day Baptist Church and say, they fulfilled it. They did it. They were obedient. And may that be so. Let's bow our heads in prayer.